0: Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to Bluehost.com Wondersuite. That's Bluehost.com Wondersuite.
1: This episode is powered by DenMeditation.com, with locations in Los Angeles that normalize meditation and make it available to all. The meditation is the primary focus. The bigger goal is for people to understand and love themselves, thus creating more harmony in the community at large. To find out more about Den Meditation's teacher training programs, retreats, and all things Den Meditation, go to denmeditation.com. So, hey, we're here today with Sophia Bush. She's a woman who wears many hats, she's an actress and activist and a producer now. Um, you may know her from her role in One Tree Hill, Chicago BD, and John Tucker Must Die. She's also blazing the way for people to own activism as a major part of who they are in their everyday lives. She has a loud voice on social media and is fearless in her beliefs, whatever they may bring. She's an inspiration to many. And many. one of the reasons I'm like so excited to talk to you today is because you don't get stuck in your fear. And you actually do versus just talk and think. You're actually a mover and a shaker and actually you don't get paralyzed by like, what if, what happens if I do this or don't do this? So I'm so happy to have you here today because I think it is so inspirational for so many people to hear that. And I kind of wanted to start with the fact that I know you left like your dream job Mm. in a big way. And the reason I kind of want to start there is because a lot of people wouldn't have done that. Mm. I mean, this is like you said, it's something you I have read before. Like this is what you were dreaming of. It was a show on NBC Chicago BD and you finally just picked up and left. How was that for you?
2: Uh it's a wild experience, you know. And and to your point, thank you first of all for the intro. It's funny when when people sort of spell things out the way that they see you. You're like, "Oh, I need to practice." seeing myself that way a little bit more. Because you know, we all get bogged or what down.
1: part that I introduced you is like- I
2: don't know. I, I just think we we all get all people get bogged down by their own fear and by their own self-doubt. And and I think especially as women, we've been cultured in society and, and this is generational by the way, to, to diminish ourselves, to to not sort of exalt what we succeed at and to not own it, and and you know it's like the classic Amy Schumer skit when the girls like, yep. oh my god, I love your dress, and she's like, oh my god, this it was like ten bucks, it's nothing, it's dirty, I'm disgusting. <laughs> like, women are taught to do that, um, and so thank you. I'm 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 in the in more recent years, I think, getting better at uh, accepting what you could perceive as compliments, I suppose, and and just saying thank you, even though it's an it's uncomfortable- so
1: hard. Mm-hmm.
2: How do it's a you really uncomfortable experience to do that? How do you
1: feel like for fear the fact that you were just saying sometimes you feel like mm-hmm. I get fr- like you still get frozen in fear is what you're saying or totally. like so how do you feel like that's and you said you've gotten more comfortable like do you mm-hmm. feel like that's changed for you though because I think one of the interesting things about you being known as an activist mm-hmm. which I also want to chat about because it's such an interesting title and like what does it mean for people these days but. The fact that you're known for that, I think, is you fight for what you believe constantly. Mm-hmm. So what part of you feels like you still ruminate in fear?
2: It's not a one or the other. You know, they, they parallel path, really. And, and I think that the big lie that we get sold, which we really get sold so that we buy shit, <laughs> is is that once you have enough, you'll be happy. Once yeah, you quote, are enough, you'll be happy. It doesn't work like that. You know, you achieve a goal and then you set a new one. So you're always looking out at the horizon. You, you know, you look around at, at people in sort of our peer group and it's like you buy your first house and, you know, you have your first kid and then you have another kid and you need a bigger house. Like nobody ever gets somewhere and then feels like it's done. I, I've enough. never woken up and gone, oh God, I've solved all of my own internal problems. And here we are. I am, yes, I I, I am very capable of feeling steadfast and confident when I'm speaking about issues or in defense of people, but I still am plagued by self-doubt. And I think it's about learning how to to dial those things up and down, learning how to lean into what makes you feel confident and what makes you feel alive and the people who do that for you and learning how to not let your own inner child who you carry with you for your whole life drive the car. Like take that little girl and put <sighs> that her in the, the back seat and say you can absolutely stay in the car, but you do not get to drive it. This This me, this adult me who does the work and understands that, I'm never quite going to succeed at self-care, but I'm going to try my best and, and who is capable and competent and, and understands that she is loved. That person drives the car.
1: When do you, for you, like, when do you feel like you hear that child voice and like, what like advice would you give people being like, no, that's your child. That's
2: not you. I think you have to look at the way that you respond to certain situations and, and, you know, triggers, if you will, when, when a, the way a person greets you or treats you or perhaps responds to you immediately makes you feel really out of sorts or self-conscious or, or you go, is that person mad at me? That's your inner child. That's an irrational question. When when your best friend is having a bad day and walks into your house, by the way, they've come over. Clearly, they want to see you. <laughs> but, you know, they're off. And, and immediately you're like, oh, my God, I must have done something to upset this person. That That's a child. And that's also when you really get to the bottom of it, your your ego being afraid and you're making their shit about you. You're taking their experience personally rather than saying, hey, you seem a little off. Are you okay? Do you need anything from me?
1: But don't you think that's fascinating? Don't you think for most people it's just easier to go through life reacting to others than to actually process for themselves?
2: Absolutely. And And again, it's easier in a society to have a bunch of people who are reactive because then they fight, then they argue, then they fight on Facebook, then they they go out and spend money on stupid shit again. It's it's a cycle. Um, and, and so I think that the thing I always want to be really wary of when people say, oh, well, you seem to have it all figured out. I don't have it all figured out. I, I've figured a lot out for me as it is relative to me uh, and my life. And I've intentionally... Built a life that is very global, that is very community based, that that revolves around charity and activism and and really social responsibility. Those things are important to me, but I had to learn to do that. I had to make plenty of mistakes. I had to screw up plenty of times. I had to date plenty of the wrong people. <laughs> you know, it's like we're all doomed to repeat the pattern until we learn the lesson. And, and when it comes to fear and, and your initial question, I know we've gone off on a bit of a tangent. That's fine. And but, we'll bring it back later. But I, in hindsight, knew that I had to get out of there two years into that job. And I left after four.
1: Why do you think it took you so long?
2: Because it's incredibly hard, A, to let people down. B, to risk your entire life by giving up a career that you have absolutely busted your ass through your own blood, sweat, and tears to build, and then to walk away from the most sort of successful position you've ever been in, um, to put yourself at potential financial risk by doing so, uh, and and to try to figure out how to extricate yourself from an incredibly toxic situation while still protecting the people in that situation who don't have the luxury of extricating themselves and who you really want to make sure your exit does Doesn't not affect. harm yeah. in the sort of blowback that it inevitably comes from a public exit of a successful career position. It's a it's a lot of stuff to manage.
1: That is. So for lack of better words, what do you feel like clicked that gave you the final like Chutzpah for my my culture. Um, I was going to say balls, but I hate saying that. But like, what do you think was the final thing that clicked that actually let you take that leap?
2: For me, there's this really amazing uh, story that Cheryl Strayed tells in Tiny Beautiful Things, which is p- potentially my favorite book of all time. I have a, a stack, but that one is the one that I reread once a year, and. Uh, in response to a letter that she gets, when she's still anonymously the letter writer at the Dear Sugar uh, column, she tells the reader a story about the year that she was a youth counselor to all of these at-risk girls, and how when she earned their trust, and these girls who were petulant and angry and scared, and 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 really just acting tougher than they were in their tiny little you know thirteen and fourteen year old girl bodies. When she earned their trust and, and they loved her, the way they opened up to her and the stories that they told her about their life and the girl who talked about how you know she was getting picked up by her boyfriend who was 32, and this is a 14-year-old oh. girl, um, the girl who talked about how her mother was such an abusive alcoholic that she would go and sleep in this falling down shed in the alley a couple miles or, or sorry, uh, yards down from her home because she felt safer in a shed than she felt in her own house. The girl who <sighs> who lived with her mother and her mother's boyfriend and the mother's boyfriend, when he would get angry at her, would basically waterboard her with a garden hose when it was 30 degrees outside and he'd lock her out of the house, soaking wet and freezing. and And she talked about how... When she knew these things, she would call social services. She would call the police. She would call all of the people you're supposed to call to help you. And she would tell the girls, I'm going to call someone. I'm going to help you change it. This is going to stop. And in getting stuck, I get goosebumps every time I think about it. In getting stuck in the kind of bureaucratic wheel that is our world, unfortunately. Unfortunately. These people on the other end of the phone would say, we can't do anything for them. They're over the age of 12. We don't have emergency response for kids that aren't quote kids. We don't do anything really for teenagers. If they, you know, if things get really bad, the, the upside is that a lot of these kids run away and then they figure it out. And you're like,
1: that's, the upside? that's the
2: upside. You know, and, and she heard all these reasons why the states didn't have enough funding, they didn't have enough programming, they didn't have enough space in shelters and they were too far away from shelters in big cities anyway because they were in a small town. And, and she finally had to turn and look at these girls and say, it is wrong and it should stop, but nobody's coming to help us. Nobody's gonna change it but you. So you have two choices. This can break you or you can stay and you can, you can paddle your own boat upstream and it's gonna suck. But if you wanna get out, more than you want to get stuck here you'll get out and and I think for me it was a it was the personification of that experience where to be a team player and to be a cool chick and to be you know the leader that I have been cultured to be and grown into on sets over all the years you know when your producers say like, you're the natural tugboat, like, thanks, I take it. But <laughs> yeah. it's a big responsibility. And, you know, to be that person when, when something very wrong was happening at work, I went after hours at a, at a dinner, pulled aside a producer and said, here's what's up. You need to know this. He balked at what I told him, couldn't believe it, It was like, that's prosecutable, that's illegal, what are we, oh my God. And I said, I know, but, you know, we were, we'd started shooting in August. Our show was premiering in January and this was beginning of December. And I was like, everybody here has been busting their asses for all these months. We're about to premiere this show that we're all so proud of. And I don't want what's happening over here with this person to tank it for 200 people, for an entire crew and an entire cast. And it's it's not right. So deal with it. And he was like, we'll deal with it. We're going to fix it. They didn't deal with it. At the nearing the end of season two, all of it is escalating and something so wildly illegal happens again on our set in front of 50 people who just freeze in shock and I run it up the flagpole again and nothing happens and at the start of season three when
1: it I, so as I don't mean to interrupt it, but as a human at this point how are you changing? Like, look, sets for people who don't. I mean, most people I know. Was, like, you're um, fully immersed on these sets. Absolutely. Like, this is I mean, your you're life. This you're there is there. A
2: hundred hours a week. You go in at four thirty-five in the morning. You're there until nine ten p.m. At this night. is your
1: family. Yeah. For lack of better, like, it's your friends. It's your family. Like, you're not with anybody you spend else.
2: Spend every single waking hour with these people. It's like
1: so. Are you becoming like a shell of you? Do you feel 100%. like there's versions of you that are like not I, you? I performing?
2: Absolutely, like bifurcating yeah and and you begin to and especially because there's such a an onus on being on being professional you begin to compartmentalize your experience and you do not look at this thing that is happening to you so that you can look at all of these other things and you get hyper professional and hyper um what i realized is it flared my ocd in a way <laughs> and it also made me wildly disrespectful to myself. So I wasn't sleeping. I was eating like shit. I wasn't taking care of my body. Uh, I was like, you know, we'd all go out and instead of going out and having a good time till one in the morning, I was like, let's stay out till four.
1: And why do you, do you think this was just you like?
2: Um, I think I didn't.
1: Just covering up anger?
2: Yeah, sure. And betrayal. Because there's also something when when every violation of your person has witnesses.
1: Do you feel like nobody and, has your back?
2: And nobody does anything because they're more afraid that they're going to lose their job or they're afraid to upset the peace because the, the peacekeeping is the money-making machine, you know, um, it's a very strange thing. And when people who you love and respect, who are sort of your partners in this space, say to you, I really wish I could help you, but it's a professional line I can't cross.
1: Do you just feel that burning in your stomach?
2: Totally. Yeah. And, 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 and you look around a room and when you're, when 99% of the time you're the only woman in the room.
1: I was going to say, do you feel like this would have been very different if it was? Absolutely. Yeah.
2: It would have been very different if we'd had uh, an on-site female EP or, or by the way, for the first three seasons, I haven't been the only female cast member. I think the whole thing would have been very different. Um, And even now it's weird to talk about because there are other female cast members there who I love and I'm very protective of. And I, and I love a a mass majority of my male cast members as well. Um, You know, a lot of people are like, why have, why have you gone above and beyond to not ever detail, talk about, I still talk about the whole situation in personal vagary. I don't speak specifically about anybody, and that's because I care about the people who are still there. That's a choice. Um, and it is a very weird, it's just a weird world to exist in. And so, you know, getting into the third year I was there, when I found out that it wasn't just me who was the sort of uh, on the receiving end of this behavior. Then I went batshit crazy. <laughs> and then I, then I ran it to legal. Then I was like, I don't care if the gloves are off. I'm done.
1: Right. I've this, played nice. Though. I've
2: played nice. You've done nothing. You've acted like this isn't a big deal. And then it became an HR issue. And then it. And by the way, this was all pre-Harvey. So an HR issue didn't mean anything at all.
1: So let's actually, that's a great segue. What do you feel like I mean, Harvey's fascinating what happened mm. to the whole industry and hopefully just out there in the world. It's, I mean, the ripple effect is...
2: Well, I think that, that what's fascinating about it is that, again, when we talk about compartmentalizing and disassociation in a way, I think that a lot of people... It's like that idea of golden handcuffs. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people felt stuck even though they weren't. People get so nervous to disrupt power structures and to disrupt power structures that support the financial lives of thousands, tens of thousands of people. You don't know what's going to happen if you topple the emperor. Um, Does does the kingdom die? So what advice
1: do you give people? Because that is, I mean, let's take it even past entertainment Mm -hmm. in general, like just someone who's going through a lot of shit, whether Mm -hmm. things are inappropriate or they're just not happy, but they're either feeling stuck because it's financial, mm-hmm. you know, they're taking care of their family and they financially can't afford of course. to, let's say, leave a job or take a leap, or they're afraid to topple the structure, whatever it may be. What advice, like what what can people do? How Here's can people stay true to them? I, I and th-
2: I think that's two verticals, right? we have one, which is you don't like your job. You're unhappy. And you know what? That absolutely sucks, but that's true for most people. Right.
1: And like,
2: I, I, I work in an industry that everyone thinks is glamorous until they come to visit a set and they're like, this is literally the worst. <laughs> How do you, this is my nightmare. And I'm like, welcome. It's a job. Like you think it's, it's like a, a rock and roll concert. It's actually a job. Like we are hustling and it's physical and it it is literally just work. Like it's just work. Um, And then the other side is you're stuck in an environment where something is actually illegal, inappropriate, uh, harming, harming your person. Um, If that's happening, I think that the world of reporting and, and, and ramifications in HR divisions now are very different. And I think you absolutely have to have the courage and the wherewithal to say something. And, and I, I would say from personal experience, don't try to be the, the cool employee who who handles it without ruffling any feathers, just say something immediately. And if there's a group of you going as a group, because there's always strength in numbers. Um, if you're unhappy in a in a career path, I think everybody needs to remember that we're always allowed to change our minds. And, you know, I've one of the dearest people in my life to me was a very successful lawyer for 10 years and realized he really, really hated being a lawyer. Hated it was miserable and had the big job and worked at the big firm and was super successful and like had the fancy car and all the bullshit that we're told is supposed to make you happy and it doesn't make you any happier. And he quit his job and took a couple months in the summer and like sold everything he owned and really thought about what he wanted to do and, and embarked on this wildly creative, inspiring path and is one of the most, Inherently joyful people that I know. That wasn't popular. And, you know, in the same way, like, it, I, I get wary about sort of talking about motivations for leaving because in, I want people to not be afraid to talk about the things that have happened to them that are wrong, that they're no longer willing to tolerate. Like, fact, period, done. That's where I came from. But there was also a lot of beauty there. I, loved so madly so many of the people I went to work with every day. I I still am in literal constant communication with a handful of the people who I was on that show with and with an even larger handful of the people who made that show with me. Like my camera crew and my hair and makeup team. And I mean, people who are my family. I go back to Chicago four or five times a year just to visit my friends.
1: We talk a lot about here, how perspective changes pretty much everything. Like it's Mm. all a matter of perspective. And I feel like that's a lot of what you're talking about too. It's like, you could have left and been like, I don't ever want to hear it, speak of it, look at it. I'm done. But you chose to have a different perspective of this yeah. is isolated to me yeah. and what I chose to do. But that well, doesn't mean I have to hate all of it. I think about it
2: this way. Like, think about your body. If, you know, God forbid you or I or anybody had cancer, you wouldn't throw your body away. Right. You just want to take the cancer out. You want to cut the tumor out. It, something is, that is so toxic can absolutely kill you, but it's not your whole body. That's what that was for me. Deeply toxic and not okay And also life-giving and wonderful and and special in other ways.
1: But don't you feel like that helps give you the power of making some of those bigger choices of taking a step into the unknown? But it
2: took a while to reconcile that two things were true for me at the same time, which was major achievement, you know, dream job, love all these people, also dealing with something that is not going to change because no amount of quiet, loud, legal, financial, threatening, ramifications, none of it made a difference. And when, and when that's the case, what are you going to do? Like, you're not, you're not ever going to live with a tumor. And so I, I didn't. And, um,
1: do you feel like after leaving, it's shifted the way you make choices in the future too. Absolutely.
2: Like, Cause you know what it is? What's so interesting to me. I spent, um, I took a full, like a full six month sabbatical. I was like, I'm off. I'm going to take every trip and celebrate every baby and go to every yes. wedding and celebrate every birthday. Cause those are the things you never get to you do. You needed
1: to fill up when, too. when you
2: have to move away from all of your family and all of your friends maybe you fly somewhere for 20 hours, you go on a Saturday morning, you come back on a Sunday afternoon, but it's not a life. It's not a connected life. You are always an absentee person. And I think it's the reason that, you know, so many people try so hard to build lives where they go. But when you have a full life in the home that you left, at least for me, that gets a little bit tricky. Um, and you know it's like my my girlfriend hillary and i were dying we were just like dying laughing the other day talking about growing up on one tree hill together you know and we were just like dude it would have been so much cooler if we'd had like a behind the scenes show about our show (laughs) because it was you know it was like a total shit show and why wouldn't it be we were 20 years old
1: living on your own like
2: the smallest town where literally the only other people there are like retirees golfing and like college students at UNCW, yeah. neither of whom any of us can hang out with. <laughs> so it was, it was like summer camp meets like freaks and geeks, like every single person on our cast and on our crew dated every single other person. Like we were so stuck in this little world. Like we joked about how often we would move in town, just to feel something like was we happening. were doing something new. <laughs> right. like, and she was like, dude, you moved every year. And I was like, I know, because I was just so bored. Like I just needed new rooms to put furniture in and try to figure out like, we, I mean, we were cackling. We it, it just like, you try your best to make a life, but it's still this weird sort of temporary permanence because right. you live somewhere full-time but you know it isn't for real um so i'm i'm wildly grateful that i made such real permanent relationships and friends and things out of out of that place and that chicago like feels like my home away from home like i'm hardcore rooting for the red stars and the cubs all the time. <laughs> those are my teams like here we go um, but you know for me the the permission to feel both joy and pain and not be so stuck in this narrative. We, we get this very 2D narrative like, through all these screens where it's like you're either happy or you're depressed. You're this or you're that. No, you are so many things at the same time. So many things. Uh, and, and that's why we were talking earlier before we started this, you were asking me if I had a personal mantra. It's my own. It's hard one. It's that you are allowed to be both a work in progress and a masterpiece simultaneously. That's I real life. I mean that's life. amazing. No,
1: because to that's me that's real life. It is real life. It's and never to me, if black people and white. can accept that. Like all you have is now mm-hmm. and you are perfection of now. And that doesn't mean it's not constantly evolving totally. and changing, but you are perfect. I mean, I have that conversation with friends all the time who I just see struggling and they're always like, if I can just get to there. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. but you don't even know what there is. And you don't know when that's coming Mm -hmm. and you don't know if it's coming. Mm -hmm. So start just learning to love this and watch how it all shifts. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, so shifting meaning it'll become that. I'm like, oh, I can't tell you what the shift is, but it Mm -hmm. will shift. Like something will shift, whether it's just acceptance, whether it just moves to a different level. And I think that's such a beautiful mantra because I think It's a lot of what we've been talking about, you know, making the choices and a lot of it's faith in yourself and just Mm -hmm. knowing that you are exactly where you're supposed to be. Absolutely. And you are learning from every single moment. And those are your lessons of love. They're not necessarily the things you have to hate yourself for Mm -hmm. or be ashamed of. Mm -hmm. You know, I think so many people live in, oh my God, I fucked up. So now I can't do this or this happened. This isn't great. Or I'm ashamed. It's like, no, those are... All the beautiful stories that are becoming part of you to get Mm -hmm. you to exactly where you are.
2: And I think it's so important to learn to metabolize those things. It's like.
1: Absolutely. Which I think is a struggle.
2: If you eat a bad meal, you metabolize it, you digest it. It doesn't stay in your body forever. And the same is true for our bad and our good experiences. Like, okay, you did this amazing thing. Cool. I highly doubt that because you're an amazing person, you've never hurt someone.
1: Uh, Absolutely. And I think that's how it works. That's actually really interesting. And that actually can tie into a lot of your activism stuff. I'd love to talk about because I do think, I think it's amazing what you're doing. I mean, obviously you're, you're, you're fighting so many causes and you're like blazing the trail. And I think also more importantly, you're really teaching people how to be activists and also how to join more than you just doing it and getting people to join on your cause. I think you're getting, you're empowering people Mm. to fight for a belief, which I, that alone is, I think, huge. But how, what is the balance of, let's say, spirituality and activism? Because I find that mm-hmm. fascinating. And I and I asked on a couple of prongs. Like, A, how do you keep in touch and keep yourself in check of what your actual voice is and not getting mm-hmm. caught up in feeling like you're fighting other people's fights? Like, how do you, when you check in with what you still truly believe in mm-hmm. and make sure you haven't lost the way somewhere just by moving forward so fast and feeling like you owe so much to everyone, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And also, how do you... For a lot of people, and I'm not saying this is you at all, but how do people also keep in check? You're doing great things, but that doesn't make you better than anyone else.
2: Yeah, well, which is what you were just saying.
1: That's what brought me there. there like, and, and I, you know, and there's I, people. I, and I've like, said
2: this to some internet trolls, where I'm like, "Oh, honey, do you think you will ever be a bigger critic of me than me?" Right. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, you want to tell me I'm a piece of and shit. That's what I'm saying. That's it's cute. not you. But- I'm like, I'm like, you don't know, and and I think that that's a really big thing to keep in touch with. And, and I also think that if, if your activism is tied to uh, elitism in some way, you know, the elevation of your own ego, then it isn't genuine. For me, when you say like, you know, how do you make sure you're not becoming the voice of other people? Your fight is my fight. My fight alone is really uninteresting to me. I'm not an activist for myself. I'm an activist for other people because I look at other people and, and there, there is no us in them. I've spent 15 years traveling around the world and existing in some of the most remote parts of the world. And every five-year-old kid I meet is the same, whether they live in a village of 30 in a, in a mountain in Laos and have never seen a foreign person in their life before, or they're like the kid of the wealthiest banker in New York, they're all the same. And I I think all of this sort of faux separation, I hope is crumbling. I think that that's, I hope what we're seeing as a side effect of this nightmare situation at the border. Oh my God. I mean, (laughs) the fact that, a six-year-old girl can get sexually assaulted in United States custody and uh, a Department of you know, Homeland Security uh, official will make her sign a piece of paper in a language she cannot speak and she's that, says, that says that she's responsible for keeping herself away from her abuser. Like, if that is not the, the thing that breaks the illusion for everyone, I don't know what is, but for me, people are like, why do you care so much about this? Why do you care so much about that? They're not your kids. Yes, they are. There is no such thing as other people's children. There is no such thing as other people's water. There's no such thing as other people's air. When people are like, oh, you know, the pollution in Beijing is so bad. Like, I'm it's like, it's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. What are you saying? When we talk about warming ocean temperatures, when we talk about increased desertification, when we talk about the fact that for every degree the planet warms, we lose 2% yield in agricultural crops a year. We are literally decimating the global food system and you think it's happening in other countries? What the fuck, pardon my French, are we talking about? It's like the planet, again, when I, I think about everything like a body, because it's, it's an analogy that is very um, felt by me when I think about it. And I think it's easy for other people to digest as well. The planet is a body. It's completely interconnected. Yes, it has all of these different systems, whether we're talking about circulatory or musculos- you know, musculoskeletal, whatever. If it's water, land, pollution, the planet is the body. There is no part of the planet that doesn't touch another part and whether it touches it slowly over the course of a jet stream moving or, or quickly we are in a body together. And when people say to me, well, you work on behalf of all these causes, why And can't you pick one? Would you ever go to a doctor who'd <laughs> be like, I'm the bicep guy. I'm going to check your bicep. And if I can't find anything in your bicep, well, you're shit out of luck. No, it's There's a reason that medicine is general and holistic and top to bottom. And it's how we need to look at the planet. It's how we need to look at people.
1: I mean, it is fascinating how there has been so much separation. And it is like even just within the United States alone. Of
2: course, but it's all an illusion. And again, it's compartmentalizing. When we are overstimulated and overstressed, we compartmentalize. When people go through trauma, they disassociate. It's the reason that so many women who are sexually assaulted, can't even touch that part of themselves, think about it, talk about it for years afterwards. You literally, your brain to help you survive, it's an evolutionary fight or flight tool, will take a terrible thing and put it in a box and bury it in the basement of your mind. And I think when we're living in a world where everything feels like a dumpster fire, we're seeing Actual, in, in public, on live television, open collusion with hostile foreign governments. It's it's so crazy that people almost can't believe that it's real. and And people are so overwhelmed by the situation with these kids. And people are so overwhelmed by watching modern day genocide happen in Nicaragua and Syria. Like nobody knows what to do. So people segment themselves and they get really, really, all about protecting their stuff. Look how scary the world is out there. Let me make sure
1: I have what I have. My
2: people. You're not my people. They're not my people. It's-
1: What are like the baby steps people can do to even open their eyes for awareness? Like, Mm. or even just start acting versus just looking or feeling. Like people do get overwhelmed, especially the border stuff. I mean, it's it's overwhelming for people. I feel like that's one that has started to really, you Mm. know- Be bipartisan a little bit, which I love. Like, it's almost hard for someone not to look at it and be like, Holy fucking shit. Well,
2: wrong is wrong.
1: Wrong is wrong. Exactly. No matter what
2: lie you've been told about how healthcare gets paid for. And the irony is that now we're seeing that, you know, uh, the GOP was telling us that the ACA was unsustainable, but then they tanked it. And now uh, everyone's premiums are going up 40, 50, 60%. And it's like, actually, it was a really good plan. And and you had all the ways to make it even better, and you didn't want to because you're the other guy made it. That no, was it's it. Con- right. It's um, just
1: it's just childish. But
2: it's childish and it's dangerous for us, and that's why I think it's on us to take the power back. And the and the first thing that's required to do that is to open your eyeballs, shut your mouth, and open your eyes and ears. And I spend a lot of time every day listening and reading, and I read things that people would imagine I would read like the New York times and and the Washington I'm guessing Focus you read and, things from the other political quote unquote yep. sides as well. And I do, I, I read, as you should, by the way, and I have to, it's, it's incredibly important. I, I need to understand the way that arguments are being framed so that I can also then look at the math and figure out what's up. Because again, the way that we were lied to about healthcare, because people wanted it to be partisan when it shouldn't be, when we're the, you know, We're the only massive industrialized first world nation on the planet who doesn't have universal healthcare for people. It's a joke, Um, but I I require the that of myself. I want to make sure that I know what's happening. I read all day, every day.
1: I I, I mean, I love hearing this because I do feel like there's a big. Us versus them, Mm -hmm. which I don't think is helpful
2: No, it's a distraction tactic, 100%. Absolutely. Because, by the way, while they have all of us fighting about garbage on Facebook, they're making trillions of of dollars. dollars. This isn't about any of what they say it's about. It's about people in power getting richer. You always have to follow the money. And so I think, look, again, this all feels really big, right? Our phones are amazing. They can teach us a lot of things. I Get notifications from four different news outlets on my phone every morning. That's important to me. That's my morning reading. There are certain activists who I follow who do daily and or weekly reading. Um, You must follow Brittany Packnett. I was going to say, can you name a couple? Yeah, Brittany Packnett. Her Instagram handle is Yeti uh the kids she used to teach nicknamed her that because i don't think they could say her name properly which i find to be the cutest <laughs> um it's like my friend's little girl can't say Sophia, so she calls me aunt tia which oh. kills me because also tia is aunt in spanish so she's just calling me and aunt, aunt. i'm auntie
1: auntie i know i'm tata um, for my nieces yeah, which i love I just, too <laughs> i love
2: kid nicknames kill me so britney packnet um follow glennon doyle um fall and then f- also figure out Who's doing work you're interested in? Do you want to follow the NRDC? Do you want to follow the HRC? Do you want to follow Planned Parenthood? Please do. I mean, we're talking about healthcare providers for women. We're not, we're not talking about anything else. Do you follow... Um, what kinds of organizations do you follow? So it's, it's important to... Um, because don't forget, all social media works on an algorithm now. So look... I, in in my purest, most individual, um, pleasure center, I love design more than anything. That's not helping the world. Like me loving to, to decorate people's houses helps my friends, but it's not like making the world a better place. It also helps you. Yeah. makes you happy. Of course it helps me, but I'm just saying that's, that's not, um, aside from like maybe adding a little beauty to somebody's Instagram feed that isn't changing the world in, in foreign policy by any means. But it's the thing that makes me really happy. And so it's also up to me to make sure that in the sort of populace of my Instagram account, I follow more social activists and, and organizations than I do designers because I want to make sure that my Explore page is Current Events News more so than couches. And I want to look at the couches all day. But that's a really <laughs> easy rabbit hole to get. So
1: you actually make a conscious me. choice of making yeah. sure your algorithm works for you. And I make a
2: conscious choice to like, I, I have a design Instagram page that's just that, that I can switch to when I need a break. So I was going to say, how do you do, you, I know you have
1: a spiritual practice. So do you meditate regularly or?
2: I don't. I'm still trying to get on that train. I learned transcendental meditation. Me too. Uh, when I was 23. So I was like real early on the yeah. meditating thing and I, I don't know what it is. I think, I think the lack of routine in my job, you know, your call time is different every yeah. day. On Mondays, you're on days and by Fridays, you're shooting nights, which means you're going to work at 4 p.m. starting at 6 p.m. and working till 6, 6.37 a.m. the next day. It becomes very impossible to have any kind of routine so, it's something I'm working on cultivating now. I have, um, just like I get my news alerts that I need on my phone, um, I have uh, reminders on my phone to drink water with lemon in the morning. <laughs> we were talking about this earlier. <laughs> meditate. We were talking about this. Um, I carry those doTERRA essential oils. Uh, Around with me because I'm trying to drink more water than coffee. Because like, is like know, I am,
1: or it's yeah. actually hard to drink water. Some it's of us so don't love it. I know well, that sounds crazy. Also like but the some Italian of us don't in love me it.
2: just want like like coffee is like mother's milk to me. I want to drink <laughs> six coffees a day. It's not good for me, so I'm trying to make a switch. Um, but again, it's like there, there's no such thing as as achieving perfection ever. Like we're always doing something wrong, but we're always trying to take care of ourselves a little bit better. Um, so so it's about treating everything as a wellness practice, taking care of the world and being an informed constituent who actually knows what I'm talking about. And I, again, I want
1: to stop you there because you've said it and you've been really clear, but I really want people to hear that because where I really struggled after the election was this dealing with just people shouting Mm. and Mm -hmm. nobody actually listening Mm. to anybody else, even if they didn't agree with the points Mm. they were making, nobody listening to again, for the lack of a better word, the other side, no one hearing why people were saying what they were saying. And it made my soul really hurt. Like I was like, we're going to get, we're not going to get anywhere if nobody will actually not try and understand why someone thinks a different way. And I feel like until you can do that and by doing exactly what you're saying, read all sources, don't just read one source, Mm You're you're not going to have an understanding of why people are making different decisions, whether it be for real reasons or for political reasons, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's heartfelt reasons for them or just totally manipulative. You mm-hmm. still have to understand it and you have to know what you're talking about in order, I think, to resonate in a way that resonates with the universe. And I mean, like, we'll mm-hmm. actually make greater change mm-hmm. because the fighting... It drives me crazy. Yeah. Like fighting with purpose and understanding and then being able to have well, conversations. Fighting for
2: something is Absolutely. very different than fighting with someone.
1: Yes. That's a perfect way to say it.
2: That's different. Very different. And I think that we have to start thinking more collectively. Yeah. We just do. And And again, for me, math is perfect, you know, because human beings are emotional we can be objective subjective theoretically whatever but um math doesn't lie right like two plus two will always equal four <laughs> that's it so I, I think looking at breakdowns looking at where as a nation we spend our money look at, looking at all these things you know when you tell me that we don't have money for kids to have health care but then you tell me that we have money To add another six hundred billion dollars to our military defense budget because the quote president unquote I can't call him that seriously of our country (laughs) thinks that our bombers are actually invisible planes. Like I
1: don't know, and he
2: said it on the TV. He
1: does not help himself. Oh my god! So
2: I can't. (laughs) We literally let like a little kid on a playground who's angry at his parents because they don't say I love you enough be in charge of. He's driving the car. It's not okay. Um, to bring know, it
1: full circle, that little kid is yeah, driving that the car. That little kid is
2: now driving the car, <laughs> and everyone is in trouble. But that 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 doesn't mean we don't have the money. It means we, as a hyper wealthy nation, aren't spending properly. I mean, you know, absolutely. And we, I think
1: weirdly, some people thought that him being a government would change that because he was a business guy, <laughs> knows budgets, and blah blah blah. I think. But like, the irony of having I mean, a business
2: guy who's bankrupted every business, I know. I just like I can't. It's. It would be funny if it wasn't so scary, right? Absolutely. But um, but, but that's that's what I mean. It's like th- there. That's just math, and and I can get very very upset when I see people defending things that I know are wrong, illogical. But I have to try then to take a deep breath and say, okay, where did we? How did we get here? Because by the way, those people think. Those people look at me and go, I think you're wrong. she's wrong.
1: No, but by the way, that's exactly what you just mm-hmm. said. It's like, you're taking a breath. I mean, I fill in the blanks for me, but, and you're checking yourself before you go on the attack and it doesn't mean you don't do it. And you don't say, I mean, you're getting, obviously, clearly you, everyone knows, like you say it all. You give a lot of information, which I think is fantastic.
2: But that I find to be better is offering information, offering facts. Every once in a while, I clap back at someone who's like really just so revolting that I'm like, no, you don't get to I talk to, to check people like that. I need to check you. So you have to be checked a little bit because it's just inappropriate. Well, That's why you
1: find that fascinating about social media in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like obviously it's great you get to spread messages uh, that could not be oh, spread before. The way
2: talk to you, but everyone has
1: an open forum uh-huh. and it's unbelievable. I'm like, how are you raised?
2: Yeah, it's I mean, shocking. <laughs> it's really shocking. I will never forget during the the first uh, the first election cycle for Barack Obama, I was out campaigning. And, you know, of course, I had some somebody come at me uh, about women's reproductive rights because we've created a unicorn issue, which is insanely ironic to me. Um, I'm like, you don't get to call yourself the party of family values. And then you separate them. And not even that. When historically you have voted hands down, anti-mother, anti-family, it's and true. anti-child, you defund healthcare for children, you make pizza a vegetable in schools, you take away food stamps, you literally take away all programming that benefits kids. You you make guns more easily accessible. No, stop telling me that you're into children. Stop. You you are you are pro-birth because it earns you votes, but literally the moment a child is born, you don't give a shit, shit what happens about, right. to it. And I think that makes you an evil person. Moving on. Um, Total hypocrites. And and this woman came at me and I I wasn't even discussing the issue. I was talking about where I was campaigning because I was traveling all over. And this woman came at me um, being incredibly disgusting and incredibly racist um, and using words I will not use, uh, used a racial slur and told me I deserved to get gang raped by a pack of expletive racial slur. And I was so shocked by it, Uh, just what I was reading. And it's a woman, too. And it's a woman. (laughs) And I clicked on her profile because I was like, I just have to see who this is. And and she's this woman with, like, curly – I'll never forget her face – curly blonde hair with her three cherubic-looking daughters in her lap and her husband behind her in the photo, in her profile photo. And her bio is, like, you know – Jesus-loving, mother of three, proud of my husband. So I couldn't be luckier to be a mom to these three amazing girls. And I was like, wow, okay. And I like took a breath and I responded to her and I said, wow, I hope no one ever speaks to your girls the way you just spoke to me. I wonder if they'd be proud of you.
1: Did she respond?
2: Went absolutely batshit crazy on me. Like, don't you fucking talk about my daughters amazing? la la, 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 la amazing. and I was like
1: But that's just someone who's just emotionally not a and, and for me I, I,
2: I was like I hope that even just like two clicks, <laughs> just two clicks on the dial, the veil was lifted for you for even a moment. And you got to realize that I'm someone's daughter. I shouldn't have to be someone's daughter to be valuable in society to women like that or to men who I'm simply asking not to sexually assault me <laughs> uh, all of us really like I always think it's an interesting thing that that we say like well she's someone's daughter or sister or mother or wife and I'm like well she's someone
1: no we're people period and I she's think it goes someone. back to like your separateness comment mm-hmm. of it's not even just about uh, the issues it's like we are all connected and yeah. are all people so absolutely. it's
2: absolutely but when we look at these sort of strange faux hierarchical systems that we've put in place of power and who has what and and privilege. I mean, how important it is for us as white women to discuss what white privilege looks like. Absolutely. to, To show up for, and not show up just for, but show up and then shut up for women of color. To stand with our collective sisterhood and say, how can we help you? Because we too know, you know, it's, it's interesting. Brittany and I were talking about this not that long ago that, um, that every sort of describer you could add to somebody reduces, uh, their ease in life. So it's like, that's something a lot of people get really fired up about this, uh, this, you know, quote white privilege, because they're like, I wish, well, show me where my privilege is. And it's like, no, 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 I'm not saying your life isn't hard. Lots of people's lives are very hard. What, what, what white privilege denotes is that your race is not one of the things that's made your life harder. Right. Your life might be insanely hard, but it, there's not also that box ticked for you on, on the difficulties list. Um And, and how interesting it is that, yes, we as women experience subjugation, violence, um, all sorts of inappropriate ramifications of gender. So we know how hard that is. So imagine how hard it is for the women in our lives who then have another describer. You Rather than just being a woman, you are a Black woman or a Hispanic woman or a... What happens when you are, you know, my girlfriend said... T- said this to me recently. She was like, yeah, try being a queer Asian woman. And I was like, oh my God, you know, and, and, and it's really, it's illuminating when we really begin to examine this stuff, but it's also to the point of the conversation we were having earlier about even awareness and activism, it makes it more, more complex. And I think it overwhelms people because they realize that there's this sort of invisible netting. It's like a grid that exists and everything is placed on it somewhere. And and how do we affect those sliding scales and how do we give more where it's needed and take it away from where it isn't? You know, how do we spend more on social programs in our country and less less on, on military? And I don't mean supporting the men and women in the military. Hello, like I've done USO tours for years. I mean, like, we don't need to be paying more money to Halliburton when kids can't go to the doctor. Right. So it is really complex stuff.
1: Have you thought about running for
2: <laughs> No, but I mean, seriously,
1: um, have you ever thought about it?
2: I have. Uh, I have. And I am constantly working in the space, obviously, um, whether it's things people know about or things that they don't. Like I, I spent... Um, Two Sundays ago, I I did a full day of border action work and um, spent time with three incredible activist communities working in San Diego and learned about not only what's happening to all of the people coming from the southern border, um, from South and Central America, but also this mass Haitian population that's been trapped in this sort of border nightmare, uh, that nobody's paying attention to. Nobody's talking about how what's happening at the border is not just a Brown, but also a black issue. Um, all I want to do is be of service and learn, but like, I didn't social media, any of that stuff. Right. I I don't, there's a lot of work that I do that I don't put out there because, it's mine, absolutely, and it's also. I think that I'm keeps more authentic. For absolutely, media, um, but but what what our plans are after what we learned that day and the communities we got in touch with that day. I'm excited to share with people, you know, what's coming and and what we're trying to figure out how to do and and how to be supportive. Um, and yeah, on days like that, people say, you know, you should run. I. I'm really not opposed to it. You know, something a lot of people don't know is that I, I went to college to get my BFA. Um, I went for the acting program and I really just couldn't stand in a room and like talk about my craft all day. I couldn't do it. I was (laughs) like, this is not for me. I tell stories because I love real people. And, and part of me wishes I'd maybe like studied some Stanislavski or Meisner or whatever, but at the time, I was like, I just knew in my sort of in the gut of my gut, if you will, mm-hmm. like when I knew it was time for me to leave my last show. It was like when that part of you turns on, you know, yep. and, I, and and back then I knew that that wasn't for me. And, and I wound up uh, studying journalism and doing an emphasis in political science. Nobody knows that. People are like, what the fuck do you know about politics? I'm like, actually a lot, but it's cool. You can tell me. <laughs> feel free to tell me I'm stupid while I'm like doing this work over here. Um, Well, you do you. Um, But there's also, I think because I've been uh, potentially, you know, begrudgingly at a younger age, certainly in the public eye for so long, I understand what, what a sort of scathing hot life that is, you know, um, having people feel like they own your space, time, person, body uh home people think it's cool to like follow you home come to your house it's, it's, ugh, it's, it's my god know, to 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 try to figure out where you live and send you mail and get your phone number I, and it's stalk crazy. Your friends and break into people's accounts and hack people's photos i mean it's really it's like it's like putting Violating. your hand on a hot stove it's really it's scalding
1: so do you feel like running for office would be kind of putting yourself back in that
2: uh, i in a just different way i just feel like as i'm Entering this phase of my life where I've built this career that I love. I've built this hub of activists that I love. And I, am, I will double and triple down on my commitment to the world forever. But as I think about giving a little bit of that back to myself and building a life and having a family, I get very gun shy about exposing my eventual children to that, to a world that thinks they have the right to treat them, uh, like they are Theirs. pieces of meat yeah. or commodities or, you know, I, I really think that we do a, a, a horrid disservice to the children of anyone in the public eye, whether they're celebrities or politicians or whatever, um, I'm very, very cautious about it. And so it, it puts me in this zone where I think, you know, maybe in my fifties I'd run, maybe, maybe I would do it when it wouldn't be traumatic for a little person. Um,
1: so you're thinking about family and I mean, mm-hmm. you still need, that's what you want to.
2: Yeah. It's always been on the list. I've, I've just, I've always felt really full. Yeah. Um, And not to say that people have families because they don't, that's not it at all. (laughs) I've just been really busy. Yeah. And, and for me, I've had a lot of, you know, I've had a lot of personal evolving to do to feel ready for that.
1: Um, Where do you feel like you've like, let's go back like full circle. mm -hmm. Where do you feel like some of your Biggest struggles or lowest moments in like life were or times you're like you know we were mm-hmm. talking earlier about these are all our lessons and they all bring us to where they are but just I think it's such a good reminder for people to hear because like you said especially someone who's mm-hmm. in the public eye people just think like oh it's perfect it's yeah, easy people think
2: your life's easy I had this guy the other day who was like oh yeah you know the the irony was that I I posted a photo it was like seven fifteen in the morning uh, and we just wrapped this little film that I did and we were on night shoots for right. a month. 7.15 a.m. I'm like, and we exhausted. wrapped, you know, yay. <laughs> and this this dude is like, must, you know, oh, yeah, real rough life for you. You get everything handed to you on a silver platter. Ugh. And I was like, I'm sorry. Um, I just did a 15-hour night of filming. Uh, whether you know how hard that is or not, don't care, by the way, side note. But but I, I was like, hold on, I'm sorry. Um as a single woman who has built a life and a career literally out of my own blood, sweat, and tears, who was a full-time college student going on three auditions a day, back when I was trying to book a job, um, who has traveled all over the world for work, never lives where my family lives, works 100 hours a week, manages to like still volunteer, raise money, go out, work for the world and yeah, every once in a while has people over for like pasta and a little too much wine. Please <laughs> mansplain to me how building this life with no help from anybody Anyone. else is a silver platter. Tell me what I got handed to me, motherfucker. I was like, so, and it's like such a wild, oh, it was just like such a wild thing for me. Because I was like, what is this? Like, what is what is this desire that people have to tear other people down what's that for
1: I mean I think sometimes it's because people don't know how to put one foot in front of the other Mm -hmm. so instead of them looking inward of being like how do I put Mm -hmm. one foot in front of the other and start moving in this direction there's no way they put one foot in front of the other either Mm -hmm. do you know what Mm -hmm. I mean I feel like it's easier for people to be like there's no way they did that themselves because Mm -hmm. then like I would actually have to start doing shit for myself. And I think it's one of the hardest things, which is why I wanted to say, like, what are some of the times in your life you're like, mm. I fucked up or I oh, right. did, or even an activism is there a moment and you're like, oh, I don't, I'm fighting for this right now. And I oh, actually totally. want to like take a step back. I said that wrong, or
2: oh yeah. Oh God, yeah. I mean everybody screws up and everybody misspeaks. And I mean, whether that's saying something which you thought was clear that obviously wasn't because people have gotten so offended or, or, you know, winding up in a relationship that you knew was like a really bad idea or like all of these things you're doing to like make your life feel full because you're like, it really, why, why, why is this bad? It but you're not listening so to that one but thing. you're not listening to the gut of your gut. Yep. And, and the amazing thing is, you know, they say, and I think I said this earlier, but they say that you're doomed to repeat the lesson until you learn it.
1: You didn't say it earlier. And and I think that's important because I totally mm -hmm. agree with that. I feel like you're going to keep getting handed a version of the same scenario Mm -hmm. over and over and over again until you fully learn to embrace it. Until you fully
2: get it. And I think for me, the, the sort of aha moment, it's like, you know, the animated thing where like the, the cartoon character like busts out of the chains right. and goes to save the day. Like that's how it felt. I, everything finally cracked open and I went, ah, I know what I've been meant to learn off and on for the last decade and a half. I, I learned it. And then I got so confident that I'd learned it, that I forgot it. And, and then I you had learned to learn it again. again and, and that's what happens. And I was like, but now I've learned something in a way that I hear myself more clearly, and I, I don't know if um, if you guys practice this here, but there's the this whole um, idea of sacral knowing
1: mm-hmm. and
2: that. So you learn to answer questions in the mm-hmm or uh huh uh uh-huh, uh uh-uh. It's like your most primal self. It's the thing you can do as a child before you have language, and. I was doing a lot of work. I was doing a lot of healing. I was doing a lot of recuperating. I was like, I was actually going, I I was spent five months in physical therapy after I left there. Um, I mean, it was like in my body. Yeah. And I I started learning this practice and it's really simple, you know, like the the woman who taught it to me is like, is your name Sophia? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Are you in Los Angeles? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Do you like spicy food? Uh, you know, like, and we went through all these questions. So you had to
1: get in touch with and, your gut.
2: And then the questions get bigger and harder. And it's crazy when you really learn to just use those two sounds. Some of the things that you think you'd say yes to, you say no to. And you're so shocked.
1: I know, but I love that because I think we talk here a lot too about how, what does it sound like to listen to your gut? What does mm-hmm. the voice sound like? And I feel like that's such an amazing tool mm-hmm. to give people and something people can practice. Because like part of the reason I want to talk about it is I had a very short marriage myself. Mm. And that was my whole lesson. is like learning. I had to learn how to actually truly listen to the voice. And I did the same shit. Like, how can I cover this up? And how mm. this part of my life, lo- and my life looked amazing because I was filling it up and filling it up but I wasn't listening. And Mm -hmm. finally, like the hard way I started listening and I too, afterwards took a lot of time trying to figure out how to listen. And just so I could never make the same mistakes again. Mm -hmm. And I think it's one of the most important things we can all do is get to know yourself. Like we have all the answers Mm -hmm. and people are just so afraid to listen to them.
2: Yeah. And I, and I think that fear is compounded by other fears, like the, the fear of hurting other people. and that's what it was for me people down I mean but then
1: you if you're me you do it worse and you hurt people worse and you let people down worse so it's like Mm
2: -hmm. the
1: clarity actually the clarity and truth to me it just helps you rise above it all the storms kind of go away a little
2: bit Mm -hmm. and I think when you really internalize the truth that If you delay what you know is right because you don't want to hurt someone else, both you and them will suffer it twice.
1: That's an amazing way to say it. And it's so true.
2: And it's the same thing about being paralyzed by fear. If you get so paralyzed that you don't do the thing that you need to do, whether it's going to be a success or a failure, you'll suffer it twice. And what is the point? Like, people always say, like, oh, life is too short. And I'm like, life is also way too fucking long. That was the thing that hit me when I when I knew that I needed to completely cut it off and come home and forge a new path for myself. I was like, life is way too fucking long to do this every day. I can't. I just can't do it. Right. Um and you know it was amazing to see what, when you free up space, it's amazing to see what comes into it, what projects, what films, what IP, what things I'm developing, producing. It's also crazy how long that stuff takes. It's like oh, wow. I'm used to going to work and shooting nine pages and <laughs> no, now you and see all the behinds. And, and yeah, it's like we're a, we're we're you know. I took six months. So I mean, it feels like a year for me because of when I actually left work. But yes, since January, it's like, so we're like seven months into developing. And it's been the longest process, <laughs> which makes me a little crazy. Welcome to my old world. Again. But it also has been delicious because it's really taught me to slow down. I've been sleeping like, no, you know, yeah, you're doing serialized drama. You don't sleep. No, nope. I sleep. I sleep like eight hours a day now. What? It, who? I was like, why did nobody ever tell me sleeping was the most amazing thing in the world? <laughs> you know, like I, I have dinner with my parents. Um, you're reclaiming
1: your life. Uh, back. Yeah.
2: I, I came home and I reclaimed my life. And what I realized was that since I was 21 years old, I've been a really good soldier and a really good tugboat on other people's projects. I've never had my own life.
1: I mean, that's amazing. And I've I want to, that before. I, and I want to say what you just said. I just want to emphasize it. And then I realize I've kept you here forever and I'm so <sighs> no, sorry, whatever. It's okay. but um, you said when you, uh, when you create space, mm. you'll be surprised what comes in. And mm-hmm. I do feel like that actually brings this entire conversation full circle because one of the first things I asked you is, How do you leave something and how do you literally make that leap? Like, how does the fear not paralyze you? And I've said it before too, like, it's okay to let doors close because there's Mm -hmm. so many other doors that will never get a chance to open if you don't actually close that door. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's such an important thing to like hit home. Like you don't know what else is out there if you don't Mm -hmm. give your shot, like yourself a shot to take it.
2: Yes. And look, that also I understand can sound like kind of woo-woo, whatever, but Figure out how to do it. So if you, if, you are, if you are in a working environment like we were talking about earlier that just makes you unhappy but that isn't unsafe, plan a strategy and a timeline and set goals for how you're going to get out of it and where you're going to go next. Get your resume in order. Start start seeing if you can freelance on the on every Saturday. Start figure it out. There's a lot of people who are like, "Oh, well, you know, I don't have the time or oh, it's just so hard." Yeah, everything is hard. Yeah, make in it the happen. last couple of years, it's like we live in a world where everybody just thinks they're supposed to be like a C-suite executive all the time. <laughs> I spent summers repainting studio floors and like cutting film. I mean, oh my god, like do the, the work. work. Do the work.
1: I was the same if way. If you want
2: it, you have to do it. And to, to Cheryl Strade's point, you have to want to get out more than you are willing to stay. So you might have to do an insane amount of work for a little while, but like think about it like startup mode. You know, treat yourself like a startup and do it. And 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 I think then you start to figure out as well. You make space, figure out what to fill it with. So For example, for me, I don't sleep with my phone next to my bed anymore because it's really easy to turn the alarm off and get on Instagram. And suddenly you've been in bed for 30 minutes and like there goes half your morning. Then you're hustling to get out the door. Stop doing that. Plug your phone in somewhere else and get a cheap alarm clock from the like Walgreens, CVS, whatever, and change your life. And then for me, it's like every morning I make coffee at home. My friend, I told you these coffee mugs. My best friend Jed started this coffee company called Beta. So I have my own coffee mug. I don't waste things. Beta does subscription coffee now. So it costs like 30 cents a day to have a cup of coffee because a box of coffee shows up at my house well, you know, once a month. I make coffee in the morning. I listen to the daily. It's the New York Times podcast of the thing you need to know today. Absolutely changes my whole life. I try to drink my water with lemon. Sometimes I do, sometimes <laughs> I don't. Sometimes I take my vitamins. Sometimes I don't. Um, but I'm trying. And that created space for me in the morning that changes my life. In the same way that on a on a grander scale, quitting my job created space for me to start a production company. That's also amazing and it's changing my life. The timelines are different, but it's about these little incremental shifts. So goal set, plan, figure out how to get out, figure out where you're gonna go, figure out who loves you that will watch your kid or help you with your house or whatever it is you need. But you have to start asking for help, not only from other people, but from yourself.
1: So now it's time for Sophia's personal practice, and she's going to share a personal mantra that she lives by.
2: So I always laugh when, when Asked about these things, and I and finally I realized that I do have a, a personal mantra, and then I think it's been hard won, and I'm quite fond of it. Uh, I mentioned it earlier. I try to remind myself, and and the people in my life, and the people out there, you know, my my sort of community at large, um, who I may not know personally, but you know, we share space in the world and in our in our digital worlds. Um, that you are allowed to be a work in progress and a masterpiece simultaneously. You can be both of those things. And and what that means to me is to own that we're all constantly evolving and changing, that we have points of confidence and points of self-doubt and that they all exist in the body, in the mind, at the same time, and and that that is okay. You can be proud of an achievement and still be scared that you're not enough, and hopefully you can continue to adjust the dials and keep clicking in the direction of feeling more enough than not enough. Um, But don't get down on yourself, you know. Celebrate what you can, work on what you need to. Work in progress. Masterpiece. Same, same.
1: Then Talks is produced by Michael Burke, Mike Burns, Reem Edon, Nicole Rappi, and music by Alex Fetter.